Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Flow Republic. Flow Republic is the elite Salesforce Academy, helping architects all over the world to realize their goal of becoming a Salesforce certified technical architect. The success that architects are having with Flow Republic is incredible. So if you are on your journey to CTA, then I highly recommend checking out flowrepublic.com to understand how they can help you. In today's episode, I am joined by Satya Evtiri. Satya is a Salesforce certified technical architect currently based in Melbourne, Australia, but with imminent plans to relocate to the Bay Area. Satya talks us through his early career, how he explored work outside of the technology space, and how he ended up landing an opportunity as a Salesforce specialist. We discuss the role of an architect, how he found moving to a new country when he emigrated to Australia, and what initially got him started on his CTA journey. Satya talks us through what it's like preparing for the review board as a Salesforce employee, what the differences are between a Salesforce program architect role and a technical architect role with a Salesforce partner. And finally, he shares more about his next adventure, moving to the US as a Google employee. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Satya, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for everything you do for the Salesforce ecosystem. No, the pleasure is all mine, and uh, exciting time in your your career and, and life. Um, you're uh, you're about to head off to the US, so I've managed to squeeze this in just before you go and leave Melbourne. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot. There's a lot happening at the moment. Uh, we're packing all our stuff um, and getting ready for the big move, uh, which is which is uh, coming soon. Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. So look, we've got a lot to talk about and we'll, we'll kind of touch on what's what's about to happen with uh, with your new role and things like that towards the end of the the episode. But I always like to, to start and try to understand how you've got to this point. So um, let's start at the very beginning. And, and can you remember what you wanted to, to do, what your kind of aspirations were um, when you did grow up, when you were when you were a child? Oh, when I was a child. So you really want to go that back. Uh, Let's go that far. And also then when you started kind of studying and things like that. But yeah, like in the early days, what were your aspirations? Absolutely. So look, I, 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 when I was a child, I think I don't quite remember what I really wanted to be at the time. I do remember when I was like 10 or 12 years old, I wanted to be a pilot, but it was like more like a fantasy dream, really. I never pursued that path. But for me, um, Coming from a middle-class Indian family, I uh, come from very humble beginnings. My my parents, especially my grandparents, came from extreme poverty, right? And for them, just you know, focusing on education, working hard on what you do, and and you know, getting a job was the top priority. So for me, uh, that was that was pretty much the path that I wanted to take. And when I was growing up, I do remember that. I didn't know what I really wanted to do per se. I was I was absolutely clear about what I didn't want to do, right? And there's a funny story there on how, how I decided that anything related to art or painting is something was not my cup of tea, right? Um, and the, the story really is that I was in, I think, grade um, three or grade four. And um, 
there was this painting competition of all the kids uh, national wide painting competition right 300 400 kids were doing this painting thing and i was part of it and when the results were getting announced for that painting competition there were only two kids that failed the entire competition and i was <laughs> one of them <laughs> no so, way so grade 3 and i don't even know why would they fail just two kids out of 400 kids right but that was a realization for me is that definitely anything related to art is not my cup of tea so my path was pretty much defined that i would either be an engineer or a doctor but then eventually as i grew up um, i think uh, because i was good at math and everything i think i chose engineering um, and that's how i became i got into computer science as well and we can talk about how i got into computer science too yeah Sure. The the worst thing about that story is that they actually told the the people that failed that they were only two out of three hundred, four hundred that failed. If if you just got a foul, that was bad enough. But to be told that you know you failed and so did one other person, that's uh, that's pretty harsh. That's that's horrible, actually. If you you imagine the confidence, my confidence completely shattered at the time, and I was about like seven, eight years old, and it was it was not a good thing. to realize but yeah here i am <laughs> so you um you gave up on the pilot dream and uh, and obviously decided art wasn't for you and and you did study computer science so what was your kind of understanding of of what you were getting into at that point like what was the excitement from from studying computer science well um for me i think getting into computer science was uh, just happened by chance i was i was lucky enough uh, to be in the city so i come from a city called nagpur uh which is right in the center of india and it is home to one of the best engineering colleges in india right so in india there are these ivy league colleges which are called iits the indian institute of technology and the next tier down are the nits which is what i i did my engineering from and it was in one of the cities that i grew up in so for me the pathway was very clear that you know i had to get into vnit it was called rc at the time vrc at the time and just get in there and i was lucky enough to get into computer science as well so i got into computer science by chance and and from there on it was pretty much i wasn't very good at academics i was i barely made through all the uh, the four years of engineering uh, and then managed to get into masters as well yeah so it was pretty much going with the flow and and i landed in iit uh, doing my masters yeah So you you say you weren't like um top of the class you weren't um one of the the top achievers through that time? I was not definitely not. <laughs> I was struggling to get through uh get through engineering courses uh it was hard to grasp uh, some of the some of the concepts as well because um um programming I'd never done programming it was only in second year of um my engineering I I started to write pascal programming really. but eventually over the time as i studied and i you know i got to know a little bit more uh, i i did manage to get through it um but yeah uh, i think getting into iit um to do my masters was probably another another achievement for me which was which helped me then you know become a better computer science engineer really yeah did you ever consider quitting at the time no i don't think so i never never thought of quitting um the field of work i wanted to do something different which which i kind of tried in later um later years but never computer science it was like it was like a challenge for me right like for me it was something new i wanted to learn it and even though it was hard initially um 
I put in my reps in there and then I got through it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned off camera before that moving to the US, your son is, um, is really intrigued and expi- inspired by Tesla. Mm-hmm. What, like, what was it back then that when you were doing computer science, was there something in the market or, or you saw something evolving that kind of inspired you and gave you that push? Yeah. So I think this was, this was what, uh, late 90s, so 98, 99 timeframe, right? So this was when the internet was booming. And I think it was just before the dot-com crash as well in 2001, 2002. So I guess internet in itself was intriguing enough just to understand what it, because it was going to disrupt the business models. I didn't know at the time that it would, it would be so big. Um, but I think that was one factor where um, you're seeing these websites come and go, which was quite intriguing, intriguing at the moment. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. And then, um, so you did your master's. Um, what what did your your early career look like after completing your master's? Yeah, so uh, I did my master's IIT um, from IIT Bombay, uh, again in computer science, and I joined HP, Hewlett Packard, as a software engineer. At the time, because I had spent about six years in computer science, really doing really hardcore C, C++ stuff, for me, HP was the right choice because we are building like a file system on a server called Nonstop Systems, right? So it was it was really hardcore computer science engineering stuff, right? So that was my early part of the career. But then later on, I, I kind of made a move, a career move. I moved back to my hometown to start a real estate company. Uh, which was completely different from what I had been doing <laughs> for the last 10 years. And um, yeah, and I joined um, a company called Persistent Systems um, as a as a tech lead. Um, and I was doing both both things, real estate and, and my software job together. So was the real estate um, business like a product? Was were you, were you using your computer science skills for that role, for that business? Yeah, so that was the plan. Uh, and this was in 2005, 2006. So when I joined real estate, I wanted to see what can I bring from the technology world into an industry that is not, you know, very uh, tech savvy, really, right? Because it's a very, very uh, old school kind of business, especially back in India. So I thought I can bring some of that modern technology to the industry. So, but but when I joined that industry, I actually started a firm. Uh, a builder's firm myself because I wanted to get the domain knowledge of that industry. So in order to digitize an industry, you need to understand the industry, right? So my initial part of that was just to, you know, just see, get in the field and understand what it really takes to become a builder really, right? So I started doing some real estate projects really. While it was just about time, I wanted to bring in some tech into the into, into my company, GFC happened, 2008, 2009. And everything crashed right it was probably the move um, the biggest real estate bust in the entire world and what happened because of that was i was a lot in debt uh, and it took me a while to get out of that debt and you know by the time i was able to crawl out from that from that hole uh, it was too late and i was fed up with it so i, I kind of gave up on that and so you uh, you still had the job with um, persistent systems yeah so at the time I was doing I was doing two jobs really you know in the in the in the morning uh, I used to do the real estate stuff and in the evening because we were working with US clients I was doing the the software stuff so I was working two jobs really wow and that's yeah not getting much sleep either 
not getting much sleep, but I was young at the time, so I was able to manage that. Uh, it was exciting. Uh, it was something completely different, completely new. So, and I like challenges, right? Like I, I like to go and do something completely radical that somebody has not even thought about and, and try and accomplish that. that. That's pretty much my life, a series of challenges that sometimes I fail, but sometimes I, I, I succeed, right? So that's, that's what it is, yeah. So do you ever miss your building days? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> see, the thing about uh, the real estate industry is there's something tangible you see, right? So even when I go back to my hometown now, I see the buildings that I, I you know, I've built, and I can, I feel proud looking at that. Even though yeah. it was so stressful to go through that phase, I think there's a there's some sense of fulfillment that you get when you see something really tangible in front of your eyes. That something that you built, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, persistent systems was that um, a Salesforce role? Uh, not initially, actually. Um, so initially, I was part of. Um, so persistent systems in an initial days was was a outsourced product development kind of company, right? So any um, so they used to have projects from say Oracle or HP to build build product itself. So I was part of that team initially, but then uh, eventually I moved into the Salesforce ecosystem. And there's a funny story there on how I how I got into Salesforce ecosystem, which you can talk in a minute. But uh, yeah, so went in into um, uh, building file systems and then um, eventually moved into Salesforce. And um, in terms of that transition then, so if you can tell us like how that came about, but also what your first thoughts were, because you, you were doing a hardcore computer science, software engineering, like building stuff from the ground up, right? To then going, in, going into a Salesforce role where a lot of things are built for you. So it's not always the um, most favorable environment for a true software engineer or wasn't back then for sure. Absolutely. And that was, I was actually very hesitant. So the, the, the story actually how I got into Salesforce, Salesforce was my VP at the time, I had taken a break from real estate and everything because after the bus, after the GFC, and I was like, I was trying to find meaning of life and, you know, uh, was trying to get my head cleared out of all the mess that I had gotten into. Right. And then I came back and my VP comes to me and says, Hey, is this technology called force.com? Uh, it's cloud-based. Are you interested? And my first reaction to that was, no, this is application software. I don't deal in application software. Give me something hardcore to build, right? Like systems programming, something low level. And he said, why don't you go and take a look? Uh, and then we can chat tomorrow. So next day he pings me and says, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I I'd spent about a couple of hours looking at just the website and some videos and everything. And I'm like, it looks interesting. Uh, the cl whole cloud computing paradigm shift is is excellent. It, this is something new to the to the industry. All I said was that, right? And then uh, <laughs> then he invites me into this uh, customer meeting the next day, uh, as and introduces me as a Force.com expert. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am in a customer meeting as a force.com expert, answering questions on the Salesforce platform day one. And I had no clue whatsoever, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite interesting. And that's how I got into Salesforce. And I think the next six months to one year was, was really, really interesting because I got to form my own team. And it was a very similar kind of struggle that in the mornings and in, during the day, we were learning about the platform. And in the evening, we were getting on customer calls and delivering the the project for them wow 
<laughs> and then we got ourselves certified and everything it was quite challenging but very 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 interesting yeah so that's how i got yeah. into salesforce yeah crazy and uh, just you you mentioned always taking on challenges like pushing the boundaries and um you know doing things that other people hadn't done has that kind of been a guiding principle of yours from from your early career like were there things that you were taught or you know you you saw other people doing and you thought right i'm going to make a career by following these principles and and going in this direction uh yeah you could probably say so i think working hard as i said before i've never been one of the most brightest students in the class right so for me the the tool that i have uh is working really hard i put in put in the effort and set a goal and achieve that that has been my really my guiding principle when it comes to my career or anything for that matter right so for me life has always been a set of you know what's next it is just a set of challenges in terms of okay i've, I've come here what next and i keep asking that question again and again to myself and and this that is what has landed me where to where i am right now but you can say that 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 has pretty much been the guiding principle yeah it's important though i think it's like it's important to have a goal but it's also important to kind of as much as possible master the level you're at before you progress right so cuz if we look at the salesforce ecosystem now there's so many people that that don't have years of experience but are calling themselves an architect or you know might not have worked on on big programs of work but you know present and, and want the highest salary because that's just the way the market is so how how did you make sure that you weren't pushing ahead of yourself like if you are motivated by achieving the next step and and goals like how did you go from being an engineer to an architect and then progressing from there by making sure that you had covered the bases i guess yeah so that that's actually a very good question and you're absolutely right especially with the way this ecosystem is exploding at the moment everybody's an architect right uh, and and everybody demands the salary of an architect without without the relevant experience i think i guess in in my case um, when i was initially introduced to the platform i was completely new to it so i started right from the bottom i wanted to understand the platform and it was changing as well so it wasn't like you 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 understand something and you're done right it's constantly evolving as well so you, that's that's something that you have to do in terms of you you should know in enough of it to be able to say that you are an architect or you are a team lead there right because you get put into some conversations with customers where you are supposed to present those skills as well so for me it was i wasn't actually um, targeting anything i was just putting in putting in my work uh and making sure that i get the relevant experience before i could call myself an architect or anything even for a long long time even when i used to introduce myself to customer i would just introduce myself as an engineer that's it i wouldn't call myself as an architect or anything it's just i'm just a software engineer who's learning new stuff that's that's how i used to introduce back in the day yeah do you think the the role of an architect has changed then over the years because salesforce wasn't as broad back then so i guess like you you could be an architect maybe earlier um perhaps i i'm not sure but that that would be i guess a a, a guess um but now that the platform is so broad and there's so much and there's so much complexity and um you know there there are so many different um reasons why a project can be co- complex but there are people that are calling themselves architects it, it might have happened back then as well but so soon so like is it easier to be an architect now or or was it easier back then well i i think the architecture principles haven't really changed uh you know if you look at some good architects 
uh, back in the day there were those architects were also good right so it, i don't think the architecture itself has changed it has probably broadened a bit in scope especially when it came to salesforce architects right but even even if you meet like the um, the um, the cta's back in the day right the early C batch of cta's they still had those seven or eight domains that you had to present as an architect right and that's true even now it just means that right now there are there are more products where you have to educate yourself on uh, as an architect right so i don't think necessarily it means that it's become harder or easier i think it's just that the scope is scope has increased a bit uh, and that's true with the cta exam as well uh, like previously the cta exam was very much limited to core whereas nowadays it's it's expanded into other regions like marketing cloud and einstein and so on and so forth so i think still the guiding principles for being an architect are still the same and you uh, you then moved to australia that was kind of your next career move um my i believe so um coming from working offshore and working you know in a a delivery um team and having client engagement but not like being in front of a customer day to day was that a challenge or, or were there other challenges you faced when you first came to australia and and were operating as an architect yeah so that was another challenge that what next that led led me to australia really and for me as you rightly said um when you're in the offshore end even though your role can be customer facing but you are customer facing in front of a screen and not in person in room with a customer right that's quite different from being in a room with senior members senior business stakeholders and technology stakeholders and and whiteboarding stuff right so when i came here i think that was probably the biggest thing uh, for me where i was i felt like i was exposed you know the other aspect that i found most challenging when i came to australia was when we are back in india and i i shouldn't be saying this because i i was in that part of the world for a long long time we are pretty much yes people right we we say yes to everything for some reason i don't know why and and we are not very good at saying no or we are not very good at saying um okay i don't know the answer to this but let me get back and i'll come back to it right so when when i came from india to australia and i was in a room and if i didn't know anything that saying no i don't know the answer to this was was probably very hard for me to do so over the over the years then i trained myself in saying you know it's it's okay to say no it's okay to say you don't know because you're not you won't know everything right uh, especially with sales for there's so many things even even after being a cta i don't feel confident enough that i know everything about the platform it's mm-hmm. so massive uh, so i guess that was another challenge um, obviously other challenges were were just you know the language is a bit different even though it's english you know there is there's a bit of slang so understanding what people were saying uh, initially was a bit tough you had to know the afl game which i didn't at the yeah. time so i had to learn the game especially in melbourne in melbourne yeah i mean every meeting the pre meeting is about afl right so you need to know <laughs> uh, you need to be associated with the team and you need to know what the latest latest game was so that was that was a bit of a challenge as well but overall i think it was it was a great move for me to move um, especially after the mess that had happened in the real estate world that was a good change for me to come to australia just just on that point around kind of learning to say no and and being confident enough to say i i don't know the answer but i'll find out 
was that something that you realized you weren't comfortable doing or was it something you got coached on or or you you dropped the ball on something and then you realized like actually you know I I should have just said I didn't know the answer to that yeah I think there were a few instances where I was just blabbering around when I didn't know the answer and then I then I, I met a few good architects right uh, CTAs actually and they were very confidently saying oh, I don't know you know, and it was quite a shocker to me. And I'm like, you are a CTA. How can you say that you don't know? <laughs> so it was quite a realization for me. And, th- and that's how you learn, right? You you uh, you hang around with uh, good people and, and then you learn uh, learn from them. So that, that was probably it for me. So um, I guess seeing these CTAs in action might have given you that kind of trigger to, to then set your next challenge, which was going down that path. But can you remember what your motivation was for the CTA journey and... and um, and also, how did the journey play out for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk about the CTA journey. So for me, I think when I was back offshore, CTA was never on my never on my radar at all. And I don't know if there are any listeners from India. I think that shouldn't be the case. I think it's it's very much possible to be in India and get your CTA. You yeah. can, if you see the percentage of CTAs that come out of India is actually relatively very low. Because a lot of people who are who are really talented and have the caliber never think about going for a CTA back in India. So I would say, uh, if anybody is listening, and uh, you should definitely think about getting your CTA. Now, for me, um, the CTA actually became a goal when I met my first CTA when I was with System Partners. Uh, his name was John Davis, and um, he's with uh, the Salesforce UK practice now. Excellent guy. A terrific person, very humble and very knowledgeable. And I met him, um, and when I met him, I was like, "Yeah, this is what someone I want. I would like to be like this person, right?" So, so that's where probably when I first thought of that I could also be a CTA when I met John. And then over the period of time, I met a lot of CTAs who are who are truly inspirational, like Olivier, for example. Uh, I met him at Telstra, and he was phenomenal. So. Over the period of time, it kind of solidified that I I had to get my CTA done. And at the time, I think this was 2016, CTA was not the same format as as it is today. It was a three-stage exam, but there was a multiple choice exam. So I actually attempted the multiple choice exam in 2016 without any preparation, and I passed it. And I was like, wow, if I can pass it without preparation, then I can probably take the board. Thank God I didn't take the board at the time because I was not <laughs> prepared at all. Uh, but I, I actually seriously started my CTA journey um, when I joined Salesforce and really in 2019. So um, so you joined Salesforce having passed the, the multiple choice and then kind of kicked on from there? Yeah, so... Um, in Salesforce, there is a there is a process. You just can't go and appear the board. You need to go through a CTA boot camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though if you have passed the multiple choice, you still have to go through the boot camp to actually appear the board because there is an internal process that you need to follow. So for me, and get to that internal process, to the boot camp, you need to get all your certifications. And by that time, the CTA format had changed as well. So, so then I went through the uh, domain learning phase again uh, got all my um, got all my internal badge badging PA badging process what it's called internally within Salesforce, um, and then I went to the CTA bootcamp and went through that process. So when uh, obviously it's it's a broad um, you know process and there's lots to know, um, but there's obviously areas of focus, right? So um, now you say I think seven domains, but what was your biggest challenge out of the seven? Like which area did you kind of find the most? Um, 
resistance when you were trying to learn it? Yeah, so I I think when I was doing my CTA, the the first step of the CTA prep is really the domain preparation, right? Where you're preparing these individual domains, identity, weighing one, integration, security, data management, governance. For me, the, the most challenging bit was identity management. That's quite common, right? It's quite common. And the reason why it's so common is you don't get to work on actually implementing identity solutions in your day-to-day life. You just assume that there is an identity solution and it solves everything. All you have to do is enter your password and magic happens, right? That's the nature of the identity system. But when you're preparing for CTA, you need to understand what actually happens behind the scenes, right? And that requires you to actually go pretty detailed into that topic. Maybe even try out a few things like you need to really understand what the difference between SAML and OpenID Connect is and when to use what, et cetera, et cetera, right? So um, that domain preparation for me, the most challenging was identity and maybe governance to a certain extent. Um, but then the second phase of the CTA is really actually um, the, the ability to solve your scenario within that three hours and then present it and then Q&A and, and prepare for Q&A, right? That is probably the most challenging bit of that exam. It's um, if, you, if you give an architect six hours to solve the scenario, they would be fine. It's, it's that time pressure of solving in three hours is probably the most challenging bit of the exam. So that, that, was, that was another challenge, uh, which, which actually was solved by practice. So we, me, Goro Sud, we were all preparing together for the exams and we used to present the scenarios to each other. So that, that helped as well. And there was a lot of coaching internally from Salesforce. So if anybody listening here to this podcast, I would say, I'll go on record and say that probably if CTA is your goal, then you should probably join Salesforce because that's where you'll get the most support to get CTA. And I know there are um, there are other organizations now like Flow Republic, which are really helping a lot of external candidates get through the CTA. Back in the day, there, there was no Flow Republic. So it, back in the day, it was only Salesforce. And that's why you see so many CTAs coming out of Salesforce as well, because there's such a stronger support to, to get your CTA. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you said around the, you know, the preparing and you've got three hours and if you, if you gave someone six hours, they, they would, they would be okay. Um, I spoke to someone recently that had been preparing for the, um, the review board or preparing for the first, like a, the, the first round, which is uh, like a mock now, right. To see if you're ready for the, and they were saying that in their preparation, in their company, it's kind of a bit loose in that you don't have three hours. Like you might, it might be split over two days. So you get given the requirement and then that night you solution and then you come back and, you know, then you you present and, um, and they found that that actually that for them, it's like, you need to practice as if it's like match day, you know, like you need to be in the zone and it has to replicate exactly what it's going to be like on the day. Because if you don't do that, you'll, you'll come unstuck when you, you get to that moment, like everything that it's like, um, like uh, intentional practice, right? It's, it's preparing as if it is the review board every single time. So when I'm coaching anybody for CTI, I say that there are three distinct phases for CTI prep. The first one is the domain prep, which we, which we spoke about. The second phase, which is actually the, uh, the presentation prep or the, the exam prep is it has to be exactly how the, how like the exam, like three hours for solving the problem, 45 minutes to present it, and 45 minutes of Q&A. And the more you practice that exact same format, 
the better it is for you because then you're then it's not new right so if you if you practice solving a scenario over over overnight it's not the same thing because because it's it's the it's the time management that is the hardest part of this exam it's not so cta stops being a technical exam after a point in time because you you prepare so much that you know every, each and every technical details about the salesforce platform in order to pass the exam right but then in a, the ability to solve it in 3 hours and present it in 45 minutes and then do a q and a which is so concise and precise is 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 only comes with practice and 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 it's a completely different skill which is what you need to learn really so if you if you think about when you first started practicing and and with gorav and the the team internally started doing these mocks and presenting like how much better were you at the end like what what was the difference between start and finish we like two different people heaps really because we 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 go through like internally within salesforce there are almost 10 to 11 scenarios that we have to go through in order to finish the boot camp and these are all mock scenarios so imagine you are you are appearing the board almost and they, and some of them are full scenarios some of them are short scenarios some are long uh, and some are some of them are full scenarios so you have it's almost like you have appeared the board a few times before the cta uh, in charge who's khalid can say that yes you are ready for appearing the board so you would have gone through a lot of practice you would have a framework in terms of how you want to approach the scenario how you want to do your presentation what are the things that you want to practice more on etc etc you would have done it a few times so that definitely helps and a recommendation is do the practice like even if you fail that's fine but do the practice the way the format is the actual exam format is that will that will help you get in the zone really now I know this will be hard to answer because it's like a hypothetical right but um do you think you felt more pressure sitting the review board as a salesforce employee than you would have if you were representing a partner we did because the judges are people you know uh, so there is a bit of a bit of a judgment there right like when you when you're presenting to someone you know uh, you feel you feel a bit of and if you fail and if you don't do well you feel like yeah probably it's is better to present to strangers rather than to someone you know really so there there is a little bit of pressure there uh, as a salesforce employee but look I, i think there are pros and cons as well as a salesforce employee you get a lot of support as well so so if you're lucky you might get a judge who you would have seen in one of the mocks so you know their style you know their questioning what kind of areas they kind of deep dive into so there is a little bit of added advantage you can get by doing that but having said that it's it's all the same for everybody right the judge would will focus only on the areas that you are presenting so it's not like um you would know exactly what they're going to ask it will all be scenario specific anyway so yeah and and people fail like people within salesforce fail so um yeah i think it, it goes to show you know the bar is the same whether you're internal or, or external in terms of that pressure i can imagine because everyone kind of within salesforce would know you're going for for it and uh you know you'll be getting questions straight afterwards like how did it go and then things like that and um yeah if you're an external um you you just rock up and uh and yeah, yeah it's it's a bit different i guess but um yeah, on on that point around the comparison so you you've worked for external salesforce partners um you know system partners you mentioned before being one of them and and obviously you you've worked as a program architect within salesforce so for anyone that doesn't really understand the differences between what a program architect does within salesforce and what a technical architect does for a partner 
would mm-hmm. you say the main kind of things are? Yeah, this this is a very good question actually, um, and I've been asked this question before, and and the way I've answered it previously is that I give an analogy, right? So imagine that you're given a big piece of land, let's say, hundred square kilometers of land, and you're asked to design a city, right? So as city planners, you what 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 would be your main things that you would want to uh, solve for? You would want to see that the road transportation is right, the rail transportation is right, the sewers are right. If there are enough bridges, if there is a sudden rainfall, you are able, your city is able to manage, right? So that's the role. The city planner role is kind of like a program architect where you are looking at a project end to end. So you're looking at how does your city integrate with other cities? So integration patterns. Um, is there enough large data volume management and onto your project? Have you have you looked at identity solutions? So you're looking at a project more from solving a business problem and then looking at from these various different domains. So that's the role of the program architect, really. End-to-end picture, broader vision, and solving for big ticket items, privacy, compliance, security, et cetera, et cetera. So that's program architect. Technical architect, the similar role in the same analogy would be like a home builder. A home builder, very, very focused on building a house, they want to make sure that the house is right, the ceiling is right, the walls are right. So technical architect is focused on the project, on one project within the broader vision. And they're making sure that you're following the best practices on the platform. You're using the right Apex design patterns. You're doing the code, et cetera, et cetera. So that, and both roles are important, right? They have they have a purpose. Both roles solve are meant, meant to solve for a project. Uh, but they are quite different. There is a bit of an overlap, I would say, when it comes when it comes to like best practices and all, slightly different in terms of scope on what what you are really looking. At. I don't know if this analogy makes sense. No, I, I get you. And do you see that? Because I've seen like program architect roles coming up external from Salesforce. So you know, companies will be implementing Salesforce themselves and hire a program architect on contract, as an example. Or um, like, do you do, does that? Do you think that title kind of translates and, and that's the same role that gets played in and outside of Salesforce or is it you know different? Yeah, so Salesforce program architect, I think is a bit different because um, the employees of Salesforce are very close to the product team, right? So they know what the roadmap of what a particular product looks like. So if, if there's a program architect from an external partner versus a Salesforce program architect, I think the main difference is the access to the to the product team, direct access to the product team, which is which is quite important in that role because there may be certain features, beta features, or um, some roadmap items that the customer may want. And a program architect, while they can look at architectural best practices, they would not have access to direct access to the product team within Salesforce. So that probably is is one key difference between these two roles. But apart from um, doing just architecture stuff, pure pure architecture stuff, I would say they could be they could be there could be some similarity. Mm-hmm. We've touched on your career in terms of the um, you've worked in consulting, you've worked for Salesforce, and up until recently you hadn't you hadn't been on the customer side. So tell me a bit about your your latest challenge um, journey that you're on now. And uh, what was it that really excited you about going into Google, but but actually working for a customer? 
Uh, as you said, I've been working in the partner ecosystem. I worked for the mothership Salesforce for a, for a long time. And the only role that I had, had not done was being customer and being the lead person at a customer end. So that, that, was, that was exciting. So I thought I, would, I should check that. Um, but leaving Salesforce was not easy because uh, especially after getting your CTA and working for Salesforce, which is, a, which is an excellent company to work for, finding a similar kind of company which has similar values, which, which is big enough to you know, then apply my skills or my learnings. There are not too many companies in the world that I can think of. Google being one of them, there are a few other companies, and that's it, right? So that list is that list is pretty small. For me, luckily, again, uh, luck has played a very important role in my life. Um, the Google opportunity came through, and I always wanted to go to the Bay Area. That was on my always on my bucket list. So it came through. I went through the interview process. It all went smoothly. Google is Google was ready to move me to Bay Area. So they made the process very easy the transition very easy as well. So everything was falling in place. And I think Google is big enough, uh, especially Google Play, where I'll be part of, uh, impacts billions of people on a daily basis. So whatever I do or decisions that I make uh, is going to impact billions of people, which is quite fulfilling, uh, in my opinion, at this point in time. And I think it's a big enough challenge for me to actually, you know, conquer at this point, at this point. And yeah, and we're looking forward to the Bay Area, to moving to the U.S., and that that um, point it brings you back nicely actually to your you were talking about working in real estate being a builder like being able to visually see something you've built i guess is similar right in this world because you the amount of people and and how visible the products are that you know that are being used by people day to day from google and like you said there'll be millions and millions of people that will utilize products um from from the the stream in which you work so yeah i guess you can now see the 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 output as well as um you know the the output from the work you've done absolutely yeah uh, and that's quite fulfilling uh we would uh, whatever we whatever we do in salesforce uh, and google is a is a big customer there are a lot of parts within google that uses salesforce as a platform uh, and google play um is one of the key uh, divisions that use Salesforce as well, so it's big enough. Uh, it has much broader impact, and and and, and it, it is going to put my skills to test. And uh, just in terms of the Bay Area, what what are you you said it was a goal to live there. Like, what are you most excited about being embedded in in that kind of tech community? Yeah, so Silicon Valley is that area from San Francisco to San Jose. That that patch, I think, um, is fascinating, right? Uh, when I open my app and I look at all the apps on my phone, uh, I, I reckon every app that I see, except for the banking apps here, everything, all apps have come from that that small piece of land uh, in the world, and the world is so big. So clearly, they're doing something right. There is a concentration of talent in that region, and for me, um, being part of that has always been exciting, and I've always had that in the backdrop somewhere that at some point I'll go there and live and see what the first is all about. You know, how do the people there think, can I, can I become like them? You know, so that that's pretty much what I'm looking forward to actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exciting times. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I think it's going to be an incredible journey and uh, I would love to, to have you back as a guest in the future to hear more about what life in San Fran is like. I would absolutely love to come back. Uh, and yeah, and it's a big move as well. 
packing furniture and packing boxes is no fun. uh especially especially you get to know what kind of a hoarder you are and i it turned out to be that i i have some pair of shoes right now with me which i brought here from india no way never worn them in the last 8 years and they are in my cupboard right now just sitting there for 8 years <laughs> maybe it's time to get them out and put them on probably yeah or get rid of them <laughs> get rid of yeah. them right so yeah so yeah there's a lot of exciting stuff happening on personal end on professional end uh yeah and i would love to come back on your podcast absolutely and if any uh, listeners um wanted to reach out and just pick your brains on one of the topics we've discussed or you know get some advice uh, about you know they might be in a similar position to to one of those steps in your journey in the past where's the best place to find you yeah so linkedin i would say i'm i'm pretty active on linkedin uh, if they send me a connection request i pretty much accept everybody's connection request i i try and respond to messages as much as i can i there is a there's a whole heap of messages that i'm getting these days so i'll definitely try and respond um if if somebody wants to reach out i'm not so active on twitter uh but i do have a twitter account as well uh yeah awesome well thank you so much it's been a pleasure pleasure is all mine thank you ben thanks for everything you do thank you bye thank you for listening to another episode of town hub talk If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.